So this uh, summer, we've been in the sermon series where we've been, we've been looking at the Psalms of Ascent, this special subset in the Psalter of these pilgrimage songs that the Israelites sang as they traveled up, literally ascended up to Jerusalem and up the steps to the temple for the high holy feasts of the Old, Test- Old Testament worship year. And we're going to continue looking at those today with the one that we just sang, Psalm 127. And I'm going to read it for us now. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you bless the reading and the preaching of your word, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand what it is that you would have to say to us, because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I just read, Psalm 127, as a psalm of ascent, is attributed to King Solomon. Of the 14 Psalms of Ascent, four are authored by David, or given, he's given credit. King David is given credit for, for writing those. Nine are anonymous, and this one is attributed to David's son, King Solomon. But it makes sense, given the subject matter, Solomon being King David's heir, said to be granted a special God-given gift of wisdom, And Solomon being the one to see to completion God's promise to David that God would build a house for David, but David's heir would be the one who would actually build a house for God, which Solomon did. Solomon completes the, under his reign, you see the completion of the first temple in Jerusalem. The first permanent house of worship for God's Old Testament people and their history. If you know before that, You know, they had this tent called the tabernacle that they drug around with them everywhere they went and put it up and took it down and put it up and took it down. And uh, David had this grand design. He was going to build for God this house. And God says, nope, I'm going to build your house, but your son, he'll build my house. And that's what Solomon does. And so this relationship to King Solomon and the temple highlights for us this connection between wise and faithful living and vitality in worship. And so therefore, it was an appropriate reminder for these pilgrim worshipers as they sang this song traveling up to Solomon's temple to worship during these high holy feasts. Faithfulness in everyday life and vitality in our worship go hand in hand. That makes sense. Now, sadly, Solomon didn't always live out his God-given exceptional wisdom. Namely, that he took too much pride 
and the wealth and the prosperity for the kingdom that his great wisdom achieved for the kingdom of Israel, which set the stage, unfortunately, for the eventual downfall of the kingdom of Israel. And to their exile and to the sacking of Jerusalem, and most notably, the destruction of Solomon's temple. As Israel's people and their kings more and more increased in their unfaithful living, they more and more began to worship other gods, and thus became the downfall of the kingdom and the sacking of Solomon's temple. So I'd imagine that this song carried a different kind of weight as it perhaps was being sung when Israel traveled back to Jerusalem from exile to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. I'd imagine perhaps this song was a painful reminder when pilgrims, especially the old timers, would later make their way to the second temple in Jerusalem as it was said that the second temple paled in comparison to the glory of the first temple, of Solomon's temple. So it was a painful lesson learned the hard way that it doesn't matter how glorious, how prosperous, how significant, how ambitions, our intentions, our plans, our efforts may be to build a house, even a house for the Lord, if the Lord is not in it, the Lord is not the primary builder, then those who labor, labor in vain. But then the song shifts, sort of at least seems like it takes this total shift in a different direction when it says in verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, fruit of the womb, a reward. Now, at first, that may seem like an odd transition from talking about building a house and guarding a city to having a whole quiver full of children. What an interesting metaphor or phrase, a whole quiver full of children. That seems like a lot of children. And it's funny when I think about that because when I was a young man, I wanted to have nine children. That was my goal. When I get married, I'm going to have nine children. And it had nothing to do with Psalm 127. I didn't even know Psalm 127 existed. Why did I want to have nine children? Because there are nine positions on a baseball field. And I wanted to have one for every position on the diamond. That's why I was going to have nine. We we're going to have an entire baseball team. Now, that was also motivated because I am, as many of you know, an only child. My parents made a very intentional choice to have one and only one child. Makes sense when you know their story a little bit. My parents were both very poor in Alabama, and my dad's uh, sisters, I think they were still teens or at least still very young when they had their first kids, and they still were at home, and so my dad remembers sleeping in his car because there was always crying babies in the house, and that just really soured him on children. So he wanted zero kids. My mother was the oldest of five, and again, very poor uh, in Alabama, and she did not want to deal with the scarcity of resources, the distribution, even distribution of a scarcity of resources amongst many children, so she wanted to have that one so that she could give all the resources only to that one child. 
which I definitely have benefited from in my life, being the recipient of all those resources and not splitting it with other brothers and sisters. But all the same, I resented him for it. I resented my parents for making that decision to only have one child because it gets lonely. It can be a lonely existence being an only child. And you have no comrade in arms to help you deal with your parents. You have to deal with them all by yourself because it's just you. And so I made a vow that one day when I get married and I start having kids, I guess I should consult my wife on whether or not she wants to have nine or not. But I had this grand plan that we were going to have nine kids, one for every person on the baseball diamond. And it didn't take long for me to realize uh, after I got married and started having kids that I am way too selfish, independent, self-sufficient, and have a strong dislike for being inconvenienced to have nine kids. And I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And if you know that personality diagnostic tool, eights, we like to have it our way. And we get upset when we don't get to have it our way. And we become what I was recently became familiar with. We turn into, and hear me carefully over the fans, we turn into eight holes. And my family can attest to that. So my joke became later in life, when I did become familiar with Psalm 127, children are a blessing from the Lord. And I would think to myself, yeah, children are a blessing from the Lord. That is true. That is what the Bible says. But man, they really mess up your life. And once I started having kids, I couldn't wait for them to grow up. And become their own people so my wife can get back to only worrying about taking care of me. Because that's what I wanted. Now, I find myself and my wife in this weird place where we are kind of sort of about to become, at the end of this month, pseudo-empty nesters. Because my oldest is about to be 21. My middle child's about to go away to college at the end of this month. Our youngest lives at residential school, so she's not home all the time, just some of the time. So here we are in our mid-40s, and we started having kids young, because that's what Southerners do. We got married in our early 20s, started having kids in our early 20s, which I realize New Yorkers are like, no way, we don't do that. But even Southerners are not doing that as much anymore, but that's what we did. And so here we are in our mid-40s, and we are about to experience this very dramatic change in our life. So this only child, eight whole. This summer has had multiple times, especially while we were on vacation the last few weeks, where my chest has started to tighten up and my eyes have started to fill up when I think about that my kids are growing up. And when I think about that they're going to have to start dealing with adult problems and adult challenges, when I think about that they are leaving my house. Well, whenever my almost 21-year-old actually does leave the house. I'm kidding, Georgia. Please don't, don't leave the house. Please don't leave the house. It'll kill your mother and I. <laughs> Please stay home. So naturally, I've done a lot of reminiscing this summer, reminiscing about when they were little and how cute they used to be. A lot of reflecting on my parenting, 
lot of reflecting on a lot of the mistakes that I made parenting them. Jesse didn't make any mistakes, but I made mistakes, a lot of mistakes. But I will say this, one thing that was not a mistake, doing our best to remember that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless you trust your children to the Lord, unless you do your best to keep in front of them that the rock and foundation of your household is the Lord, then you will almost definitely spend a lot of waking hours early in the morning and late into the night eating the bread of anxious toil when it comes to your children. Because listen, I can speak for all the veteran parents in this room. It doesn't how much, how many parenting books you read, how many parenting seminars you attend, how many parenting message boards you participate in, how much family counseling you go to, how much church you bring your kids to. Those things are good and right, okay? They are. They're very helpful. You should utilize all of them, absolutely. But at the end of the day, I can tell you in 15 plus years of ministry, I've seen time and time again, and also in my own house, that you can look to all sorts of resources when it comes to parenting. At the end of the day, it is up to the Lord to be with and for your children and if they will turn out okay or not. That and probably a lot of counseling to help them sort out how much you screwed them up. But it's true. And parents, I know that many of you were up early and you were going to sleep late eating the bread of anxious toil when it comes to your kids. Jesse and I are with you. Other parents in this room, they are with you. Just remember, the best thing that you can do is to remind yourself, first of all, and then remind your children that you are the beloved of God. That's what the psalm says, that you are the beloved of God, and God desires to give all his beloved children rest. So pray for and with your children that the foundation of your house and the walls that protect that house be the Lord your God, who promises his beloved rest. And children, please do your best to not do stupid stuff that keeps your parents awake at night. Okay? That would be helpful from your pastor. So it turns out, after all, that this Psalm of Ascent 127 is not about two different things. One about building a house and one about having kids. It actually, Psalm 127 is about building two types of houses, right? Actual physical building projects, which can mean more broadly, of course, our vocations, our labors, our dreams, our designs for what we want to contribute to this world for the common good. And then houses that are made up of not bricks and stone, but people, our households. And not just our households, I think, but our communities. The households of our communities. Which is why this song is perfect for us right now. Because what are we here at Resurrection Brooklyn? We are pilgrim 
worshipers who are trying to rebuild a community of faith and rebuild an actual physical, tangible worship space at the same time. Have you, any, any of you ever noticed that ever since we first began worshiping in the sanctuary, now Resurrection Clinton Hill was worshiping back in the parlor, but Easter Sunday 2022, we started worshiping in here. And Jameson turned this Bible right here to a very specific page. And do you know what's on that very specific page? Psalm 127. Because he and I knew that what we were trying to do was going to be and is still a great undertaking. Trying to merge three congregations into one while also at the same time pursuing to purchase the first ever building that any church since 2004 when Park Slope was the first church ever planted in this network has ever owned their own piece of property. And we did not take for granted that that was a big deal. Like that was going to take a lot. And so Jameson turned this Bible to Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And whenever Jameson and I describe our work to others, when we go to Presbytery, when we talk to supporters and uh, outside of our congregation, and we describe for them what our work has been for the last year plus, you've probably heard us say this, we often have said that we feel like our jobs are taking the work of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament and rolling them into one. Because again, going back to what I said earlier, right? Israel built this big temple. They were unfaithful. They started worshiping other gods. God sent these other nations to come, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, carry them off into exile. But eventually they came back. God brought them back. And when they did, when they returned from exile, Ezra, his job, his work was to rebuild the people. And Nehemiah, his work was to rebuild the actual physical walls that surrounded Jerusalem, the ones referenced here in Psalm 127 about watchmen, keeping watch at night. Because both the people and the place, the space, were broken. They were demolished. They were worn down. They were in disrepair. And they needed a lot of fixing and a lot of healing and a lot of protection. So listen, there is no doubt in my mind that Psalm 127 was sung regularly by the Israelites coming back to Jerusalem after the exile. And so, as we come out of our own exile of sorts, as we come together as this newly reunited people, as we re endeavor to restore this glorious ruin of a building... We will do well to remember that while we may have a lot of plans, a lot of ideas, a lot of wishes and wants and dreams, which are all great and good and right, of what we want to do with this people and this space, we will do well to remember that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Now, I know this has been your prayer and our prayer. I want us to continue to trust in prayer together that if we can keep our focus, now, no matter what we endeavor to do, and we got a lot of great things that we endeavor to do with this place and with these people, but no matter what we do, what we become, if this house is built upon 
the rock. The rain may fall, the floods may come, the winds may blow and beat upon this house. And believe me, they beat upon this house. The kitchen flooded again this morning. If we would keep our eyes on Jesus, not the wind and the waves, like someone else we read about a few minutes ago, right? If we would keep our eyes on Jesus, then no matter what may come and what may happen, this house will not fall because it is built upon the rock. And therefore, our labors will not be in vain. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.